All right. It's one o'clock. I will call this meeting of the Law and Legislation Committee to order. Will the clerk please call the roll to establish a quorum? Councilmember Kaplan. Here. Councilmember Jennings. Here. Councilmember Guerra is expected momentarily. And Chair Valenzuela. I am here. Um, Vice Chair Jennings, would you mind doing the land acknowledgement today? Absolutely. Thank you. And pledge allegiance. Rise for the acknowledgement in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nisian people, the Southern Maidu people, the Valley and Plains, Miwok, Patnam Whitam people, and the people of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribes, may we honor and acknowledge the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contribution, and lives. Pledge of allegiance, please. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. all right. Thank you, Vice Chair Jennings. All right, I'd like to remind members of the public here in the audience and online that we um, take public comment for each item. If you're in the room and want to um, have public comment on any item, please fill out a speaker slip in the back of the room and submit it here at the front of the room. We will close the roll for that once we take the first public commenter at the beginning of public comment period. And if you're online, please raise your hand in Zoom and we will call you in the order you raise your hand once we finish comments here in the room. So with that, um, we will move into the consent calendar. Um, Vice Chair, I want to note your outstanding request that we revisit the items that have been sort of stale on the log. I will call them for a while. So I hope maybe you, me, and our staff person, Consuelo, can meet soon to huddle about how to manage those. Um, but in lieu of that for now, this is our list, and our item is only item on consent. Do I have any questions or comments on the log? All right. Move. Thank you. All right. It's been moved and seconded. All those in favor, please say aye. Aye, great. No opposition, no abstentions, and with Councilmember Guerra absent for now. All right, we will move straight into item number two on our discussion calendar, proposed ordinance amending and deleting various sections of Chapter 8.68 of the Sacramento City Code related to noise control. Um, as the city staff comes up to present this item, I will note that this is an unusual timing of an item. Usually we hear something at Law and Ledge and a week or two goes by and then we hear it at City Council. We are doing this in the same day today because we recognize the urgency of the situation being experienced by many of our clinics. And I really do want to applaud um, the code team and the city attorney's team and everybody else who has been working really, really hard on this item. I will say it again at five o'clock, but our, our city attorney, Susanna Collawood, sits on the statewide committee of city attorneys working to protect what is now a California constitutional right to reproductive health care access. And I'm really, really um, proud of the ordinance that's being brought through to us today. So Peter, um, take it away. All right, let's be a brief presentation. Good afternoon, chair and board. Uh, today we're here to discuss proposed ordinance amending and deleting various sections of Chapter 8.68 of the Sacramento City Code relating to noise control. Deputy City Attorney Angel, Angel Solis is uh, here with me today to answer questions at the end of the presentation. On March 21st, 2023, staff provided an update to the committee on the progress made with the changes and approvals to the noise ordinance. The committee requested staff to bring back a completed 
changes to the uh, ordinance to this committee and then take it directly to city council this evening. The proposed ordinance is amending and deleting various sections of chapter 8.68 of the Sacramento City Code relating to noise control. This ordinance change aims to prevent the obstruction, harassment, or intimidation of persons entering and exiting healthcare facilities while preventing the fundamental constitutional right of others to assemble peaceably and express opinions on matters of public concern by imposing narrowly tailored content neutral regulations by creating a 100 foot quiet zone around the healthcare facilities. The ordinance additionally includes technical updates to outdated provisions and modernization of the enforcement mechanism to confront with uh, or to conform with other provisions of the city code and delete certain unnecessary provisions of the code. Today we request the committee to approve the proposed ordinance amendments deleting various sections of chapter 8.68 of the Sacramento City Code relating to noise control. The Ordinance additionally includes technical updates, as I mentioned, to, outdate, um, to update outdated provisions and modernize the code enforcement mechanism with other positions of the, uh, provisions of the city code and deletes unnecessary provisions. This concludes the presentation, and I turn it over to the board to ask for questions or comments. Great. Thank you so much, Peter. Um, we'll go to public comment next. Madam Clerk, do we have any public comments signed up? Yes, I have two speakers in chambers, um, Cal, um, Calandria Vargas. Then Maya De La Rosa. Hello, good afternoon, uh, honorable council members and staff. We wanna first of all say thank you so much for responding to the urgency of this matter. Um, we read the language and we are supportive of the language and um, this is gonna go so far to making sure that our patients have their access to, sorry, a little choked up here, <laughs> to, um, to healthcare, not only that they have the right to, but they deserve fully. And thank you so much. I see the rest of my time. Thank you. Uh, Maya De La Rosa. Hello, um, council, and I wanna thank you again for taking up this issue. I wanna thank everyone who's helped in this entire process. Um, my name is Maya De La Rosa. I'm the grassroots organizer for Planned Parenthood Advocates Marmonte. And I could tell you firsthand that this is an issue of urgency. Um, from someone who is based out of the B Street Health Center, I, when I go into the office, face harassment constantly. And having to have that fear stepping in as an employee of Planned Parenthood, um, I can only imagine people who are already scared trying to seek quality, affordable health care. Going forward, this is an issue of great importance and I am so glad that the council is taking it as such because everyone deserves access to quality, affordable health care, and that is what we are there to provide, not to give space for people to be harassed as they try to take care of their health and wellness. Thank you. I see the rest of my time. Chair, I have no more speakers. Okay, well, thank you both for coming here today and for all you do in our community. It's been a true honor to work with you all um, and the city team and your responsiveness and your clear care and compassion for, for the people you serve and for your coworkers. So thank you all for that. Um, all right, uh, to my colleagues, I know there are probably some comments here. Um, Councilmember Kaplan. Thank you, Chair Valenzuela. Um, I think this is great. I know this started before I joined the council, but um, when I first moved to California was in law school. I no longer qualified for my parents' health care, and so Planned Parenthood was my health care um, while I was going through law school before I could actually get a job. 
um, and qualify. So I know how important just healthcare is and the ability to access it without people harassing you. Um, this is great. Just one question uh, for, for staff. Uh, I appreciate it, uh, the narrow tailoring, because there is a lot of case law out there so that we can um, make this enforceable. But one of the things I noticed is we deleted protections for churches and schools. Um, can you just put for public record what our next step is? Because I think our churches and our schools deserve the same level of protection as well. Yes, the, those sections are in need of um, updating and modernizing as well as the rest of the ordinance and they will be uh, tackled on the next phase of amendments. This one, because it was an urgent um, measure, um, we wanted to address specifically healthcare facilities. Um, so those kind of took a little bit of a backseat, but they will be upcoming as well. Great, that makes me very comfortable because seeing schools and churches deleted, I'm like, ah, but I appreciate you know, the clarity of you guys letting us know that they're coming. I am supportive of, of updating it to make sure that we have uh, language that is legally enforceable as we uh, provide protections for our schools um, as well as our, as our churches. So thank you for that. Thank you, Council Member. Vice Mayor Guerra. Uh, thank you very much. I just wanted to thank the chair here and all the uh, staff for their work in this. Thank you, Candelaria, and all of the folks at Planned Parenthood for uh, your advocacy and helping us uh, draft an ordinance that I think is going to show other cities a path forward to making sure we protect people's access to health care. So with that, uh, I don't know if uh, Board Member Kaplan has moved it already. If not, I'll, then I'll go ahead and second that, uh, that motion. Excellent. Vice Chair, you have anything you want to add? No, I think this is... Uh... This is a, a great work on staff's part, on the community's part, as far as bringing this to our attention. Everyone should have access to health care without having some of the disruptions or some of the politics that play into it. They should be able to go to a center where they can get the help that they need without having disruptions to that. It's enough of a, an emotional issue to deal with the medical issue that you have to not have to deal with other issues that could take you uh, further uh, into places that you don't want to be. Thank you, Vice Chair. And yeah, again, commend the staff for this. Um, can you talk through next steps? Obviously, we're going to 5 o'clock tonight, but can you give us a little bit of an expectation if this gets approved by the full council on like what's the timeline for implementation look like? And It would be uh, 30 days if it's adopted at this afternoon okay. or this evening's uh, council session. So we could potentially start education efforts before the 30 days to just let folks know, hey, this law is we coming We anticipate starting education you right know, as soon as we can Excellent. tomorrow. <laughs> Excellent. The sooner the better. Um, all right, you two. Thank you both so much. I'm really proud of the work our city is doing on this today. So I um, really commend you both for, um, I know how many emails I was on, um, so I can only imagine all the other stuff that was happening behind the scenes. So thank you again for your work on this. And it sounds like I can just call a voice vote on this item. So all those in favor, please signify by saying aye. Aye. Any abstentions or no's? Matt is unanimous. Thank you and onward to five o'clock. Thank you. All right, um, without objection, just because I know we have a lot of people making comments on item five, are folks okay if we take item five next? Um, are there any objections here? Okay, awesome. Um, so I'm going to um, take Chair's prerogative and just move up item five, which is a council member proposal request for committee consideration, the tenant anti-harassment ordinance. Um, 
What is the process here, Madam Clerk? So this is our first time for members of the audience who've never seen this before, because um, <laughs> this is the, we're the first committee to do this. There's a new process for submitting ordinances for consideration, which is that we have a council colleague. In this case, it was Councilmember Maple who submitted an ordinance for consideration that's been referred to our committee. So today's vote is not a vote on the ordinance itself. It is a vote on procedurally if the committee wants this to come back and wants staff to spend time bringing it back so we can have a fuller discussion and consideration at hopefully a not too distant date. Um, so, Madam Clerk, what is the, um, the protocol for the presentation on this, or do we just dive right in with public comment? Um, so there is no protocol for the presentation. Um, the staff report should act as that presentation because, as you mentioned, really um, it's this committee deciding if they want okay. staff to put more input into it, if they have further questions. So there is, um, as you see, the recommendation, there's multiple options for this committee okay. to take, but really is it's to um, discuss initiating uh, work on this proposal. Okay. Well, excellent. Well, I will refer folks um, online if you have not seen the proposal um, that is posted as a part of our agenda. And so maybe we will start with um, public comment that's been submitted for this, and then we will have some committee discussion. So, Madam Clerk, do you have any people signed up, I assume? I do. I have 12 speakers. The first is Kristen Lopez, Lily Sandlin, Monica Madrid. Okay. Uh, Lily Sandith. And please feel free to line up if you'd like. We do have quite a few speakers in a short meeting. <laughs> Hello, um, my name is Lily Sandlin. I live in District 4. Um, so I do encourage the City Council to adopt a very strong tenant anti-harassment policy. Um, I've been a member of ACE for years. I've worked for ACE, I've canvassed for ACE. So I've had a lot of conversations with so many people in Sacramento who experience um, her, uh, tenant harassment. And I believe that if the council were to adopt this uh, tenant anti-harassment ordinance, it would greatly imp improve the lives of people living in Sacramento. It would stop landlords from profiting off of severely mistreating their tenants. And it would also um, stop landlords from circumventing existing laws in order to just Get, kick people out on the streets who don't know their rights, who don't have any real way to fight back against this type of mistreatment. Um, I know people in my personal life um, who I will not name because they don't feel safe speaking out because we don't have proper laws to protect people at this point, um, that just in my personal life would also greatly benefit and uh, a lot of safety would be provided for them if they were to, we were to adopt this ordinance. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker is Monica Madrid, then Doug Colville. Hi, my name is Monica Madrid. I'm an organizer with ACE here in Sacramento. Um, first off, I want to thank uh, Councilmember Valenzuela, Councilmember Kaplan, Councilmember Guerra for meeting um, with our office um, and you know listening to you know what we've what we've seen. Um, I have two tenants here actually that are aren't speaking today because they don't feel comfortable talking about the harassment that they've been going through in different types of ways. Some people, it's refusing to make repairs. In, um, in their apartment complex. Others, it's actually calling, threatening to call, um, threatening to call immigration on tenants. There's also been times where tenants have um, been in the Sacramento Bee talking about the um, roof caving in on them. And then um, the next day, not only did they have their window broken on too, but they also, like two or three weeks later, they got a call from CPS, their school, 
because they made a false CPS report against some of our tenants. Um, and this is, that's just some of the harassment that I've seen, just door, going door to door, talking to tenants. I'm also a tenant. My landlord, Invitation Homes, is refusing to make repairs in Sacramento. So this is something that we're working with both Supervisor Kennedy's office at the county level, but also we're wanting to bring this to the city council as well. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Doug Colville, then Mallory Farrell. Good afternoon, chair members. I'm Doug Coville. Uh, I'm a realtor, and I've been a realtor for over 40 years here in Sacramento. I've seen a lot of changes over the years. Uh, I'm sure you know we didn't build a lot of housing in this area for many, many years because it just didn't make sense. Um, a whole bunch of laws and rules came in after that, which made it even harder. Um, and this ordinance is actually going to make it even harder also while not accomplishing anything because the rules and laws that are out there cover it on a very large um, detail. In fact, I talked to yesterday attorneys, property managers, and a tenant legal hotline on one of the stories I, was, I heard that somebody got locked out of their house and all their belongings uh, thrown away. They said, all you have to do is call the police on that one. There are rules out there to protect the tenant. This is not going to change any of them. It's just going to make it harder to do business here and cost more money to do business here. Um, you know, I have stories I can tell you. I had a client coming from uh, Berkeley. They were uh, a Berkeley uh, commercial uh, broker. They didn't want to do business in Berkeley anymore. Uh, he came with his investors and brought property here from me in Sacramento. And then they owned them for about 20 years when they wanted to split up the partnership and not be, some of them didn't want to be in the business anymore. Others still wanted to, but their words were, unfortunately, Sacramento's turned more into Berkeley. And so I sold them properties in Placer County. This is, we don't want it to go this direction. There's already protections out there, really good protections. And what I recommend is that we help people, help tenants get to these already in place uh, legal hotlines that can coach them through these processes. Um, all the laws are there for them. And I, th I, th I think we should do more to protect them by getting them educated. Um, and not to go down the road of making it harder to be in that business. We want the business to come here. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your comments. Mallory Farrell and Aaron Teague. Good afternoon, Council Members. Mallory Farrell, Senior Vice President of Local Public Affairs for the California Apartment Association, also known as CAA. <coughs> CAA is the nation's largest statewide rental housing trade group. Our membership is diverse representing individual mom-and-pop owners and also larger apartment operators who provide tens of thousands of homes for families in the city. Education is at the heart of our mission for CAA. Our association helps housing providers manage their properties legally and ethically, maintaining compliance with all local, state, and federal laws. CAA has worked closely with the city on the rollout of the Rental Housing Inspection Program, the Tenant Protection Program, and the Sacramento Emergency Rental Assistance Program, and continues to work on ongoing education efforts for our members. We are definitely concerned to learn that there have been allegations of tenant harassment in Sacramento, especially because each of these examples of tenant harassment in the staff report are already prohibited by state law. Rather than passing duplicative laws, <laughs> The city should focus on developing a renter outreach program to increase education of existing anti-harassment laws and other state and local tenant protections. Without clear and compelling data of an ongoing systemic problem that cannot be addressed using existing law, the committee should reject the proposed ordinance. CAA stands ready and willing to partner with the city on these renter education efforts as we have done in the past 
with all of the programs we have in place currently. Additionally, CAA would like to be notified of instances of ongoing harassment so we can evaluate ways to engage directly with these bad actors. Um, I did also want to note that on the city's website, there are a couple resources listed for renters that are no longer in effect, including the mediation program. So I would request that the city updates that. The number is disconnected, and that program is no longer in place, to my knowledge. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your comments. Aaron Teague, then Robert Copeland. Good afternoon, Chair Valenzuela and committee members. Aaron Teague on behalf of the Sacramento Association of Realtors. Uh, today, we respectfully request that the committee deny the proposal for the tenant anti-harassment ordinance. As noted in the report, the ha harassment is already protected by state law. What the proposal does shine a light on is a different problem that exists. Many tenants do not understand their rights, protections, and even remedies that currently exist in state law, and there are few reliable places for them to go to find and access that information. I caution that the ordinance is duplicative and increases liability for our mom and pop owners that are trying to comply with both state law and local law. Broadening the language such as that is, that is included in the staff report will open up these providers to litigation, which they are legally obligated to do based on state habitability laws. So now we're going to pit them against providing a habitable space for renters and potentially being liable for tenant harassment. A realistic solution and better use of city resources would be to find the gaps in the information from, for the current tenant hotline that provides residents tools, information, and legal resources in Sacramento County and most of the jurisdictions within it, uh, which does include the city of Sacramento. How can we make this a, f a functional resource for tenants that tenants can rely on? SAR commits to working in partnership on this, not only to provide more education for their members, but also the tenants so that they understand their current rights. I appreciate your time on this matter today. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Robert Copeland, then Giovanna Fajardo. Uh, tenant harassment is sexual harassment of a landlord against their own tenant. Mental harassment physical harassment, not making repairs. This ordinance is badly neat because I've seen it when I was in the Sacramento Tenancy and now I'm an ace. We need this ordinance badly because there's a lot of bad actors that are landlords and the CA is not uh, policing themselves. Thank you. Thank you for your comments, Giovanna. And then did Kristen Lopez make it? No. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> Good afternoon, Giovanna Fajardo. I work with ACE. Um, I'm sure most of you guys have received emails from constituents and tenants and homeowners in Sacramento. We, over the last week, you should have received over 260 emails from tenants throughout the city and the county that are concerned about what's happening. This issue is real. The law is true. It is a law. But what's happening is there's no accountability. There's no way to hold accountable. I personally have called police to help tenants or my staff who were physically, verbally assaulted uh, by property staff and management. In those situations is not an exception. It is a daily issue that we see in and out throughout the city of Sacramento in many major complex, mainly from big landlords who are out of town and not local Sacramento residents. In this ordinance, if we pass it, you could put special limits to make sure that if there are false claims that 
the tenant would pay the lawyer fees for the landlords to ensure that there are no false claims and to ensure that there are real claims that move forward. This is just a talk about fairness and ensuring that we can advocate and we could protect our Sacramento families and residents who are being evicted. I understand that there are some resources, but they are not enough. Legal services takes three days to get an intake for tenants. The Sacramento Tenant Protection Program has taken too long to help our tenants. And we know that every day there's more and more residents and community members that are becoming unhoused, not because of drug issues or mental health, but because they're losing their housing. They're being evicted, even after the Sarah um, Rental Assistance Program. Their rent was paid and they were still evicted. And so this is why we ask for you to move this forward, to look into it, to see what is best for the actual Sacramento residents. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Kelly Sweeney, then Ethan Silverstein. Kelly? Can you hear me? We can, please proceed. Thank you so much. Uh, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for uh, <clears throat> hearing our comments. I too request that this uh, item be removed from consideration. Um, as noted, we have several laws uh, currently in place, and um, as the uh, council member who's proposing this uh, request notes in her staff report, uh, many federal and state laws already exist to make these activities illegal, and tenants' barriers are actually just in asserting their rights. Let's focus on the issue. Let's find the way to help tenants assert the rights that are already in place without making things more difficult to provide housing to uh, the much needed uh, rental market here in our city. Let's focus on the issue, which is to educate our tenants on their rights and how to get them the resources they need, rather than making things more onerous and more difficult uh, to protect them. So I would assert again, I, I ask that the, the item be removed for consideration. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your comments. Ethan Silverstein. Hi everyone, this is Ethan Silverstein. I'm a nonprofit tenant attorney with ACE. Uh, I practice tenant anti-harassment law and I practice mostly in the cities of Oakland and Richmond who have very good tenant anti-harassment laws. And I'll say there, there's big differences between Oakland or Richmond and Sacramento. And the big difference is tenants get harassed in a lot of very, very serious ways in Sacramento that I do not, even as an attorney, have the tools to effectively put a stop to. Um, you know, the big trade association line is that it's, it's duplicative and it's unnecessary. And I'll just say that three or four, uh, however many very well-funded trade associations do not mobilize to oppose things that are truly duplicative and do nothing and are already illegal. If that was the case, we, we wouldn't be here talking about it. It would, it would be, of no point to anyone, of no consequence. Uh, but that's clearly not the case. Uh, there's a difference between something being illegal and a tenant having a remedy to effectively put a stop to it. Jaywalking is already illegal uh, in, in many cases. Uh, burning a dollar bill, it, it's illegal. Um, you, you shouldn't do those things. They're, they're, they're illegal. But it doesn't mean that there's a, a big effort to put a stop to those things, to, to really you know, crack down on them. Um, and, and that's why we're here. We're saying, hey, tenants have these rights. And even when they get an attorneys, which is rare, uh, they, they have a really hard time putting a stop to them. Um, as a final point, I, I just like the board to really consider why realtor associations would even uh, be present here today when they are not landlords or tenants. What possible state could they have here? 
Um, and you know, I'll, I'll let the board come to their own conclusions on that. Um, but I, I think that does speak to why these protections are so important because people are being forced out of their houses for profit through tenant harassment. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Alexis Sanchez. Hello, my name is Alexis Sanchez. I'm Director of Advocacy and Training for the Sacramento LGBT Community Center. The Sacramento LGBT Community Center is strongly in support of this uh, anti-harassment ordinance. Uh, LGBTQ plus people, especially transgender people, disproportionately are in impacted by housing discrimination and harassment. Furthermore, transgender people who are marginalized are less likely to have access to resources such as attorneys or um, feel comfortable reaching out to organizations um, that are able to provide resources. Um, and I just want to echo some of the comments of the prior speaker. I think the more um, ordinances and the more layers of protection we have, the more we're able to protect marginalized folks, which I think is the duty of all. Um, so with that, just thank you for um, considering this and thank you for my time. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Maria Ruiz. Meet me. My name is Maria Ruiz and I live in a mobile home park. Now, we would not bring anti-harassment charges against the manager that was treating us fairly and like and like adults. Those charges are only going to be uh, brought against managers who are harassing their tenants. We have a case of fear in our park so thick that nobody will go up to the clubhouse. Nobody uses any of the amendments. And if you think that that's not adult and elderly abuse, but nobody can bring charges against that because the police will not come out here for anything anymore, and we can't afford a lawyer. You know, I know there are, are laws on the books right now, but since they didn't get broken and nobody does anything about them, landlords break them every day. And I urge you, please, to protect the tenants. Pass this ordinance. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Kim So. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Kimberly So. I'm from District 5. I'm also an ACE member. I feel like people are being punished as renters these days, and we shouldn't be punished for being renters. We are being punished with high rent increase and harassment. I just received a 12% increase, and it was dated for last year. I'm going to submit an invalid increase form, and I fear retaliation and harassment when I do that. I've been uh, harassed in the past. I was illegally relocated, told I had two weeks to move, or I was getting evicted. I strongly support this tenant anti-harassment ordinance. Uh, I've been sexually harassed by a previous landlord here in Sacramento. And there are not strong tenant protection laws or any legal counsel available, really, to be honest. I filed a police report about sexual harassment about four years ago, and to this day, there's no follow-up. So, um, yeah, um, I've come out with my story. Me Too kind of helped me come out with that story. It's a little bit shameful. I'm a little bit ashamed about the sexual harassment part because my landlord was out of control. But uh, yeah, I'm here today to let you know we need this. 
Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker is Arnold, then Erica Haramillo. Arnold, if you'll unmute. Hi, I'm Teresa Arnold, and I'm opposed to this motion. We already have laws in place to prevent this activity. I am a small, small landlord, and I want to know if you're if you're saying you're going to make physical threatening physical harm a from a criminal offense to a civil offense, well, what about the tenants who threaten physical harm on the landlords? Um, the you're trying to drive all the private landlords out of the city of Sacramento. Is that really what you want? Because just take a look at the state of public housing. It's it's in a lot worse shape than the private landlords are running their properties. Um, I spend so much time trying to be um, keeping track of all of these laws and the differences between the state and the city. It's hours and hours of work trying to abide by these laws. Um, and why should the tenants be a protected class? There's just as many bad tenants. When I had a vacancy, the amount of fraud documents that were submitted to me is unbelievable. And so we also need protection from bad tenants and you need to look at this with a more balanced thing. And the realtors are interested in this because it affects the price of properties when you drive landlords out of the business and they want to sell. And also small landlords, we don't have access to attorneys either. I don't have that kind of money to go hire an attorney when tenants do bad things just as you know tenants don't have money i don't either i'm just a small landlord with trying to make have a little bit of profit off of my properties and there are a lot of work and you guys are trying to drive us all out so please don't add another duplicative law to the mix for me to have to sort through thank you thank you for your comments next speaker is erica Haramillo, then kristen lopez hi i'm a renter um in District 6, um, grew up primarily in Oak Park. Um, I've been a renter most of my adult life and um, have been tenant organizing for the last five years. Um, I'm currently at three different complexes um, with working with about a total of almost up to 40 tenants right now. Um, a couple of the complexes are pretty organized with hardly any effort on my part. Um, they have uh, identified a couple of their leaders who have been there for like 20 to 30 years and the stories that I'm hearing are they're heartbreaking and the the theme that's so common and prevalent amongst all of them is that the harassment is literally disrupting their quality of life um, some of them work during the day some of them work during at night there's property managers who are calling their jobs just to get them to sign a piece of paper. They won't even let them take certification papers back to their units to sign. They, they make them stay in the office to do it. They're not willing to be flexible around it. Um, they take the drop the, the mailboxes where they drop their rent checks off. They'll just, it'll be, it'll disappear. And then they'll have to, you know, take time out of their day and their jobs to go and escalate it up to management. And if they're corporate landlords, that's like a whole process within itself. Um, so I just really want to 
emphasize that tenants are more organized right now than I've ever seen in the last five years. And it's not taking much effort as an organizer on my part. Like a meeting can happen with 25 tenants tomorrow. So um, there are real issues and fair housing is not enforced in Sacramento. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Kristen Lopez is our final speaker on this item. Hello, I'm Kristen Lopez. I work with ACE Action. I'm an organizer, um, a tenant. And uh, before I start, I'd like to mention a few other pillars of the community with organizations that also support uh, tenant uh, anti-harassment ordinance. Uh, Tammy Dramer from Executive Director Organized Sacramento. Uh, uh, Vi Tran, California organizer, manufactured housing MH Action. Okay, Vitran. And then uh, Dr. Flojane Coffer, Senior Director of Policy and Public Health Advocates. So I have been fighting for renters' rights here in Sacramento since uh, 2018. It is horrendous out there. I literally knock on people's doors and I talk to them about what they're experiencing. So many renters that, like, for example, uh, Tammy from Harlow, she was being unlawfully evicted by a toxic property manager and um, apartment association, right? So she, they were lying about her, trying to say that she was like a bad tenant when really they just wanted her out for organizing and standing up for her rights, okay? This is the majority of tenants out here in Sacramento. Landlords know they are in a position of power. They do, especially these corporations, and they are wielding it, and you have got to protect them, they are going to end up out on your streets if you don't. You understand? So please pack, pass this anti-tenant harassment ordinance here in Sacramento. It already exists in Oakland. Oakland is, got, is, is miles ahead on this on humanitarianism when it comes to their housing. Okay? We have got to keep Sacramento as safe as our comrades in Oakland. Please. Thank you. All right, thank you to everybody who came and who spoke on Zoom. I'm gonna take a little bit of Chair's prerogative to, to speak before I turn to my committee members for um, support here and just your own comments. You know, I believe that protections mean nothing without enforcement. And we've talked on this committee in previous council meetings. I know Vice Mayor Gary, you've brought up Right to Council. You know, you helped start the fuel network. There have been efforts to try to plug what is a gap, which is that it's one thing to have a law in place that says this isn't okay. It's another thing to actually have the ability to enforce that law. You know, for the longest time, I've, um, well, I still am actually the only tenant on this council, and I get calls and emails from all over the city. And usually the first step is our tenant protection program staff. I'm like, hey, a law's being broken. They're giving me a testimonial. What can we do? Not only are we talking about two people, right, who don't have the capacity to really implement, but they have told me repeatedly that state law is state law, that their job is to enforce the local tenant protection program ordinance. And so over and over again, we have hit this barrier of, okay, city staff can't help because they don't have capacity and it's outside the scope of the city ordinance. 
they're not eligible for legal services, either because they're overwhelmed or because they don't meet the qualifications for the services that are available. And, and over and over again, we hit the same thing. And this is in addition to the people who tell me that they just left, um, that eventually they just, they figured it out. They got on someone's couch, they moved back home, they, they figured out where else to go because they knew that the, they didn't feel like they had the resources to do this. And, and it's not okay because I think we pass these laws with intention. We pass these laws for fairness and um, to not have the ability to move forward with actual enforcement of those laws is a real travesty. And it's unfortunately something that my staff and, and my team have had to deal with from folks all over our districts, all over the city far too many times. Um, so what this does is it gives, so I've heard a few people today say, well, like let's work on helping tenants understand and educate so that they can use the current laws to, to protect themselves. And I think that that's exactly what this ordinance is doing because what they're doing is giving the city the ability to say, okay, these are all, we also respect these state laws that have been long debated and upheld as fair. It's not duplicative if we're just saying, hey, what the state said, we say as well. And if it's illegal there, it should be illegal here as well. But in doing that is important because it gives us the right to action, the private right of action, and it gives the ability for lawyers fees reimbursements. And I really like the idea that Ace mentioned of potentially having that go the other way too. Because obviously if a landlord is subject to just someone saying, hey, you're harassing me, you're harassing me, and there's no evidence, and they should also be able to recoup their legal fees. And I think that's something we should consider as a part of this ordinance. It's a very thoughtful amendment. So I will just say in general, ideally we would just have the resources to expand legal services and this wouldn't even be a tool that we were exploring. Like ideally we would just be like, oh yeah, we're gonna pay for the mediation line to come back online and we'll pay for everything to come back online and we'll just have this. We'll expand the fuel network, we'll expand legal services and we don't need to worry about a potential private right of action clause. But this ordinance I think is an attempt to get creative because we don't have those resources and we know we're not gonna have those resources anytime soon. And if landlords are breaking the law, then there should be an enforcement mechanism. And what this does is it gives tenants the ability to seek reimbursement for those attorney's fees. It's enough that a nonprofit attorney might take it on, somebody might take it on thinking that, you know, with strong enough evidence, they can get that, that time and money recouped. So this to me is something that I would like staff to continue to explore. And specifically, I'd really like to hear from our tenant protection program staff on this. I'd love to hear their thoughts. They've been working on this for the last couple years. And what we have in front of us today is just a proposal ordinance. This has had no staff time or feedback a review. Um, so I'd like to move actually option number one, which is a motion to ask staff to look at this and bring it back to this committee. So not to the council, not going past this step, but bring it back to us so that we can hear what staff has to say about the tools that are available to them so we can really start talking about what we think this might do for the city of Sacramento and have a thoughtful discussion about whether or not to proceed to council. So that's my motion here today is to, to move that staff actually look at this and option number one, bring it back to us so that we can have a fuller discussion. But I will just say, and I wanted to start off by testifying to my own personal experience with way too many tenants in the city, knowing that a law is broken and not having the recourse to pursue legal remedy isn't really acceptable to me. Um, and so if this might give us a tool to address that, then I think it's something worth exploring. So. So that's my motion today, and I'll turn it um, to my colleagues here on the council to see if what you all think. Vice Chair. Okay. For your motion, and I, um, I first want to thank the speakers, uh, both all those who came here today uh, in person and all those who called as well. I want to thank them for coming in and letting us know the experiences that they've had. Um, and when I hear those experiences, I become very concerned about tenant harassment and what 
those who have gone through it have experienced. And um, so I don't feel that there should ever be a tenant that's harassed. I don't feel that tenants should not feel comfortable being able to speak out and feel like they potentially will lose their home as a result of speaking out. I don't feel like that's that should be the case. Um, and so how do you fix that? Um, I do believe that education is at the key of this issue. I heard someone say that earlier. Um, educating tenants about the current rights that are, they have right now. I don't think that's being done in the manner that it should be done. About the laws that protect them, that help them to be able to deal with their fears of being able to speak out. Um, and so I want to just kind of put an alternative motion on the table. Um, I saw the five um, opportunities that we had in front of us, and I want to put a six motion on the table um, because I believe we have a resource already here in Sacramento, um, a resource that currently works in Rancho Cordova, the city of Folsom, El Grove, the county of Sacramento, um, of course, the city of Sacramento, Citrus Heights, and HUD, U.S. Department of Housing uh, and Urban Development. We have that resource here uh, in, in Sacramento. It's called the um, Renters Helpline. And I do believe with the Renters Helpline, um, there's an opportunity to give it more capacity and give it more resources. Um, and I see people who are snickering about the Renters Hotline. And I'm talking about doing something that is already in place and building it up so that we don't have to start new. We can start from a foundation that's already been built. And I would imagine that while some people may not have had the greatest experience with the renter's hotline, I would also imagine that there are others who have and have been able to go through that hotline. So when you see an organization like that and what it can do and it's already in place, with the resources, working with cities like Folsom, Rancho Cordova, Elk Grove, and others, Citrus Heights, I think it's an opportunity to, to look into finding out what it would take for them to have more capacity in order to be able to help the people that have the problems, to do the education, to do the trainings, to do what's necessary to help those that are out there. Um, and then I think I would like to see staff go out with the limited resources that we have finding out can we take that resource and make it something that could be very beneficial to the city of Sacramento and its tenants as far as education is concerned. So I would, I'd like to put that motion on the table, and that would be my direction for staff. Could I um it's combining. A, I'm combining. I, a, I was going to say, can I provide a compromise? Um, propose a compromise here. We'll do this in the moment. This is what I like about Law & Ledge. Um, so what I would love is maybe if we brought back the menu of options here, right? You know, like this is one potential option, renters helpline, legal services, and really hear from staff about the, any limitations that are there. Because um, I will say in my experience, there have been limitations, unfortunately, when it comes to state law, even there, which has been unfortunate. So I think what would be maybe a compromise motion would be still option one, but with the idea of and other options, right? Like let's look at this ordinance and other options. And then there's like a suite of menu things that the committee could say, okay, we think this meets the need or, you know, maybe this and that. And there's other things as well. Like I brought up the fuel network because I know that's been really integral in helping especially our undocumented immigrants feel like they have the protection against deportation while they're seeking their rights. So I think that maybe there's, 
a menu we could ask staff to look into and kind of give us a matrix of what each of these things does and does not do, and then we could figure out where our strategic point forward is there. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, I'd like to hear from the staff, I mean the rest of our my colleagues, and hear their points on this before I Okay. Uh, finalize it, but I think we're all, I think we're getting closer to the same page because yeah. we're looking at what our menu of options are yeah. that would best serve the people. Yeah, and the common goal of if someone's breaking these laws, then we don't we don't like that. And so, like, if we need more tools to do that, then I mean, I know in my on list, I know Tina Lee Vote who just went to nighttime economy module. She was there. We finally just sat down on the phone one day, and I'm just like, what? And she's like, well, this does this, this doesn't do that, this does this, this doesn't do that. And so I think we could use maybe the benefit of that conversation so we can figure out, is it resources for this? Is it an ordinance? Is it a different ordinance? What that might need to be. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, Councilmember Kaplan, go ahead. Thank you, Chairwoman, and thank you, everyone who has come here today, because I think it's a conversation we need to have. Because you have state laws, because people deserve protection. I was, uh, you know, a renter in, in a small, older complex where I was, you know, I was in law school, so I was by the default uh, where everybody came um, to me and asked for advice of how we did things. Um, so I've been in that circumstance of where you have infestation problems and you need your landlord to work on things, which um, I think Sacramento has a good base. But my question, I always look at things like, okay, what is the problem? And then what do we have in Sacramento? And then what are the gaps? Instead of just proposing something new, you know, what, what do we, what is the tenant protection program? What is working, what is not working on it? Um, the city of Sacramento already has the Sacramento Renters Helpline as, as potentially something to, to help. We did have the Sacramento Self-Help Housing um, which is no longer around, you know, something to look at. We do have SHRA because we did have, you know, emergency tenant protections um, and anti-eviction. We do have the City of Sacramento CARES mediation program that we have put into place. And then we also have a rental housing inspection in City Code Chapter 8.120. So my big thing is we've got harassments and problems Instead of putting something forward, what do we have in existence and where are the gaps? Where are things falling that we can, can discuss this? Because I don't feel like I have enough information right now to even provide um, a direction of where we should go because I don't know where, what Sacramento is doing well and what not doing well. And then I take a further step back and go, okay, what's it going to cost? Because we've talked about capacity. And then I take another step back and go, what is our vision as a city council? What are our priorities? Because we're going to have to start budgeting our priorities and making really difficult choices. And so how does this all fit in? Because for me to make a decision, I also need to understand what, what the costs are. You know, where are we going? Because if, this, if we do things and they have costs, then it needs to go to budget uh, to be considered uh, as well. So I think where... I'm in the, I'm kind of in the, there might be an option seven, <laughs> because option one talks about the proposal. We've been presented with a proposal. I don't have enough information to say that this proposal is solving the problems and the concerns that our renters have. Uh, so I'm kind of like in the seven where direct staff to look at the programs and even if like, if there is a matrix, 
what's the matrix of the laws that exist? And, you know, in the meantime, I think what's really important that I hope um, our, our realtor friends and the apartment association is look at what we give tenants when they move in and is it good enough education? Because if I had to search to find these things, when they move in, do they get information about a rental housing inspection and who to call? You know, because if you've got rats and other infestations, it's covered in this. And if the apartment is not, then maybe that's what we go back and look at it of how do we address all of that. So I kind of want the big hug of information with the gaps to understand that and then understand where the holes may be before we just say this is the solution. Because I don't have enough information to say that this is the solution. So I might say proposal seven is look at what we currently have in the city of Sacramento. Um, what's working, what's not, have staff, because if we don't have something comprehensive, I've looked on our city website, you know, you have to go to different places to find things. So it could be, you know, having, having something encompassing on our website, but also having uh, the partners who are out here, what can we do more for education? What's out there? How can they increase it? And then where are the holes of where we go? So um, I don't know what that motion really <laughs> looks like, but other than well, staff, look at everything for the, the big hug. We're building the train <laughs> as we're on it. So um, I think, yeah, because you bring up, and I think those are additional, when I imagine a matrix, like these are additional columns, like what does it do? Because unfortunately, a lot of those programs you mentioned aren't funded anymore. And so then it's the question of, well, do we come up with, because I think you're raising the point of like, do we want to ask for the budget resources? Is that a priority that we say this is our approach? Part of what I, I like and like and don't like about this ordinance, I'll be honest, is the fact that it does still put the onus on the tenant to be able to say, hey, something's wrong. But at least it gives them the ability to get repayment back for that um, and say, okay, at least your attorney's fees can be covered. So maybe it creates that that option. And so that's, I think, in my mind, when we provide direction to staff that we want something to come back, we're also saying here's some other information we'd like before we ever decide if we want to move it forward. And so rental housing inspection program, loud and clear. The existing mediation program that I think is offline now, I just heard that from Mallory during the meeting this morning. So um, that's offline, it's been done, but like what did that do? How did that work? What is the emergency rent assistance, data. we're out. Like, what did we have with yeah. data, especially yeah. on the um, self-house housing? Did we have data? Does staff have data? Because when we talk about things and they come back to us, it's not just it sounds good, but did it work? Because yeah. I always want to go back to if we did something, what were the holes and what really worked? Yeah. Because I want to address the problem. I don't want to put a Band-Aid on it. Because some of the reports coming back from L.A. for the, the uh, tenant anti-harassment uh, ordinance is that there wasn't enough funding, so it didn't work. So then we're right back where we are right now is if it goes back to funding, mm -hmm. you know? So where is that balance? And then what are the council priorities? Because it just is, we have a lot out there. How do we combine it to make it a resource that is beneficial? Absolutely. So I don't know how to say it, but I want a staff hug. Yeah, no, I think that what I'm hearing, and I'm just trying to summarize as we go here, um, because the LA ordinance is a little different than the one in front of us today, but essentially we want them to look at it to tell us what they think, and we also want them to bring in all these other programs that have been, that you're mentioning, because we want to hear about what did we spend, what was happening, what did it do, what couldn't it do, what were some of the outcomes. The data piece, you and I are completely in sync. I tried in vain a couple years ago to get more data out of the tenant protection program and was told 
Nope, um, which is unfortunate, like three-day notices, right? Like I really wanted to require that people have to tell the city when they issue a three-day notice, which is not required. And so now we're sort of flying in the dark of like, well, who has these notices? Who doesn't? When were they filed? Which is unfortunate because I would love to have that data. But um, I think that's what I'm hearing. And so I'm just trying to summarize because I'm not like, yeah, I guess I'll stop there because I know the vice mayor has his hand up as well. But just I, quickly, a little bit of flip. I would like the priority to be what do we have? Where are the gaps? And then does the tenant uh, anti-harassment ordinance okay. fill some of the gaps? So I think our priority needs to be what do we have existing okay. before we start looking at what is the answer to fill the gaps. Okay, that's a flip. Yeah, but it's still on the table. All right, Mr. Vice Mayor. Thank you very much, uh, Chair. And I, th I think, um, you know, one of the things that, w one of the reasons that we're here, and for those in the public, this is, again, our, the beginning of our first process, like the decision-making of uh, what we want our staff to focus their very limited time on, because anyone who saw the, the log, we still have to get through that log and have a conversation about how we're going to get through that log. So I, I, I don't feel uh, comfortable in just having staff go out and start drafting a new ordinance without actually, you know, focusing on those, um, those, uh, the, the clear information that we need. I feel very good about, um, you know, where we've made progress on the tenant protection program. Uh, and, uh, and even then when we did that, um, you know, I made the motion to fund um, the Sachs-Alfelp housing line. And we know, unfortunately, where it's at now. And so, I, so to me, I also think that having staff come back and say, look, you know, what, what does it cost to uh, support or look at another entity that, that can support that? Because the county does have one, but, you know, it, it's limited to, to the county needs. Not so much um, what I thought, what I felt SAC self-help housing was providing was a valuable tool that could be specific to their needs. And even then, they were overloaded with calls, too. So... Um, uh, number one, I, I think uh, uh, focusing our, our issues on um, one, what is the what is the issue that we're seeing? Is it prevalent? Uh, and I know for uh, my district specifically, now it's been uh, I've heard directly from folks in a mobile home park. Now you know that maybe it's maybe that's where the issue is happening more prevalently, and that's where we may want to focus. But uh, so again, I'd like to see the data on where it's happening. Um, and, um, and even there are issues that I'd like to make sure that staff come back with. I mean, this, uh, you know, it, not only did we hear today of the, you know, some folks mentioning, um, the, the lack of communication with their landlords, um, uh, but, uh, I've also heard, you know, uh, even during the pandemic when we started the Sierra, the Sarah program, uh, some landlords unwilling to accept payment through the Sarah program or even payment altogether, uh, I'd like to see kind of real data on that in, on, because I did work with one family, uh, again, that had that similar issue, and we walked them through it, and it was, you know, the manager on the property wanted to be supportive, but it was the out-of-state owner of the of the property that was having that problem. So I'd like to get information about where that problem is and making sure that, that we address the those those points there. Um, I think, you know, one of the commenters mentioned, you know, what's a functional resource? Um, and, uh, and I think that's the question that we also need to ask is like, what is the, the functional resource that we can have based on all the things that we have, the rental housing inspection program, the tenant protection program, um, before we even start going down the, the route of, uh, you know, private right of action. I mentioned this comment before when we 
per looked at you know the private right of action i always i've always felt that you know it could create you know unintended consequences of a cottage industry no offense to the lawyers here in the room but but uh, but uh, but that I, I I have concerns about that and um, you know and while while uh, while we you know they they're put in place for a particular reason I have concerns about about that aspect there um, I'd I'd like to see you know from staff uh, what the implications have both positive and negative from these other ordinances I agree with Councilmember Kaplan in this because one thing I I would be concerned about. Uh, and I've mentioned this before when I've talked to some of the tenant groups as well has been, um, you know, the mom and pop landlords who own, you know, a couple uh, properties. Um, and many of them, uh, those that I've talked to, uh, were public employees, some of them state employees for a long time who, you know, their PERS compensation weren't significant, large, and they saw rent, they a rental property as a way for them and in their retirement to be able to have a stable form of income. Uh, and I and I worry about those that aren't the large, you know, property owners who um, who now all of a sudden have to figure out how to navigate a new bureaucracy. So I, I, I to me, that's a concern about trying to recreate uh, an entire layer on something that we don't have. Uh, other points here that I'd like staff to come back with and and give a, a presentation on is I did hear concerns about you know the 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 challenges with the three day notice. If someone's unwilling to accept their payment uh, and uh, it takes, you know, longer than three days for them to exercise their rights or to get, you know, um, you know, the a court adjudication to force that, uh, I'm not an attorney, so I'd like to, some information about how you deal with that issue uh, because uh, if you miss that three-day notice period, um, by the time, you know, you do maybe get your, your rights upheld, uh, what's the process to make sure that you you stay in your place, or um, and, and what are the remedies? Uh, so to me, I think the question uh, also when it comes to these points, and I'm looking at Mr. Itagaki over here, is I'd, I'd like to know what the remedies are. You know, if there are current rights in place, then how does a, how does a city or how, does, you know, how do we make sure that those rights are, are, uh, are remedied? Um, because, you know, if, uh, you know, it doesn't make sense if we have to create a duplicative process if the rights are there, but if their remedies aren't there. And this goes back to why we created the fuel network, because if there isn't a way to remedy their rights, then, um, you know, then what good is the law? So to me, I do feel that that is a fundamental piece. It may be through education. Maybe our tenants aren't accessing the appropriate channels. Uh, and we heard that, you know, in, that our, some of our legal professionals are already stretched. Um, if it is an issue of accessing, uh, uh, you know, uh, legal counsel because of the cost, then we should know that. Um, but if it's uh, a matter of the state also not stepping in, then we should use our jurisdiction, our location here, to engage with the appropriate State Department to say, you know, why aren't you responding? So uh, I think another question that I'd like as a presentation is, is um, what relationship do we have with the state uh, to be able to make sure that a response happens when someone's rights are violated in that, in that sense? So, to, so what I'd like to see, and I, again, I think it's uh, to for staff to come back more with a presentation about, um, you know, the rights and the remedies, uh, and um, you know, and there's a, and there's a, there's a question here that that uh, that um, I wrote down again. Also, uh, when it came to the the city's inability to enforce, I'd like to understand what tools there are uh, in place already 
Um, we enforce the, the state building code, right? You know, that's, that's given to us. Uh, uh, and so why, uh, what, what uh, maybe uh, the city attorney can come back and talk about what remedies are there for the, the, the city to en enforce uh, existing rights. Um, and, you know, just because, uh, and I understand that even for many tenants, you know, there may be rights in different parts of the statute, and I think those are important for us to figure out how do we create an educational tool. So that's one thing I do think we should start on immediately is, is, uh, is having staff focus on how do we create, uh, you know, while we are having this discussion, how do we create an educational tool already that is educating people on their, on their rights? And uh, maybe Tina's already got a good, you know, a uh, way of doing that, you know, a better way of doing that, or maybe uh, she's going to come back and say, I'm glad you asked that, council members, because we'd like to get some more resources to be able to produce that. But um, I, I think the most important piece right now is also making sure that people have access to their educational tools. So I'd like to uh, see, you know, what uh, one coming back here, what are all those pieces, those questions um, uh, to be able to address you know, the, the, the root problem here. And I, I do think that what we heard today, um, I heard it from the callers, is that there's, there's real fear. And, uh, and, that, uh, and that goes both ways. I think I also heard, you know, from some of, uh, you know, uh, some retired folks in my community who said, you know, I, I, you know, I'm already paying a rental inspection fee. You know, I only own one property. Um, you know, these are the, the, the challenges of upkeeping even a place because they're trying to keep their, their rental stock. Um, you know, in place. And so uh, I'd like to see this uh, come back with those options and looking at those uh, those particular questions. And that was a lot. Uh, I'm going to try to summarize. Yes. Are you ready for this? You know, but I couldn't also, I couldn't also, uh, I couldn't also end by saying that a part of this problem that happens with, uh, with uh, some of the bad actors in the landlord world uh, is that we have a shortage in housing supply. Like, the, there used to be a, a time where if you didn't like that landlord, there was places to go, and we could go out and, um, and shop around. And so I do want to thank Commissioner Colville because he spent a lot of time on the commission trying to expedite the, the multifamily housing uh, process there. Uh, and so I think also it's like where we focus our energy to making sure we can address kind of a bigger problem here is making a market that is also more competitive for tenants. So I'll leave it there. Well, as I think I said a few times this morning, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. And so I think we can do both looking at the rights and protections of both landlords and tenants and still continue to talk about affordable housing. I will say I've really, I really appreciate the broad nature of this conversation, and I'm sensitive to the fact that the council member who proposed it is not on this committee, um, and so she's not able to come and say, hey, this is what I think about all the great discussion you're having. And so I have, I, yeah, I think we're on number eight right now. I don't know. What's the option I'm going to try? <laughs> We'll see. Um, but I actually would love like a presentation to come back to the full council. And I want to get a pulse check on this. Because what we're talking about is a pretty broad overview of what we have in place, what's working, what's not working, where are the gaps, what's going on, and, and is this necessary under the context of this is what's happening. Because the data, and I mean, we had this exact same conversation two years ago when I brought the tenant protection program back to this committee. We don't have the data because so many of these folks just leave. They, they do other things and we never fully know why, you know, especially if it's a bad situation for them. So I would like to propose that we 
give our colleagues a chance to weigh in. And we asked staff in their time to bring this presentation, to look at all the different things that are available, what's working in other cities, what has this ordinance done in other cities, bring it to the full council for them to weigh in. And part of that weighing in could be, yeah, Law and Ledge, we think this ordinance is, is important and we want you to consider it. Or it could be something else. It could be, hey, budget not it. We think you need to fund this. It could be a whole menu of things that, that come out of this conversation. But I think that given the nature and the far-reaching nature of what we've covered here in just these few short minutes, I would love to let our colleagues weigh in, especially the council member who submitted this item and give a chance to say, okay, thanks staff, because this conversation has not happened at the council at least since two years ago when I first brought potential changes to the tenant protection program back. And even at that time, they were just starting the rental registry. They were just starting all of these things. And they were like, we really don't know how this is working yet because we're still implementing it. Um, so I hope maybe two years in is a good time for us to say, what's happening, what's not happening, and to give you know broader members of the council a chance to talk about what they're hearing from their constituents, what their perspectives might be, and, and see where we're at. I'm seeing general, like, naughty smiley, but I just want to, like, take a pulse check here. What do you all think? I don't know what motion we're on at this point. Because we can't actually bring it to council for discussion. It would just bring it to council for an up or down vote. So there is no mechanism. Well, I guess there is a mechanism and option, too, to say that we want to bring something back to council without coming to this committee. And so I guess I'm kind of morphing here and saying, well, this was a proposal that came to us. We're saying we'd like to have a fuller discussion. We could say, hey, staff, do this work. Bring it to the full council. And then at that full council, part of the action could be, okay, we're going to now re-refer an ordinance to come back to law and ledge because now we've had this bigger discussion. So if I'm understanding what you're saying is you're amending your yes. first request to one that now your motion is item two. Is item two with the full review that you all are talking about, not to bring it back to council as an action item, but to bring it back to council as a presentation. And then the full council can say, hey, this is what we think about this, that, and the other thing. And then we can... From that recent, you know, bring back a more refined proposal to the committee based on our colleagues' input. So I heard you say earlier. I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. You know, you're up so, first. So, yeah, Ma Madam Vice Chair, this is where you and I may disagree because I've always been I've been very staunch about the committee process, and even and this is just from my experience from when we were going through some of the. Uh, the, the cannabis items, like when we didn't do the work in the committee to have a vetting process and a conversation and we just went straight to council, I felt like we almost took more steps backwards than steps forward. And that, that are, therein lies why we have a committee process to be able to decipher and have a conversation amongst a, a group of folks to tease out the information to get staff to focus. So I, I would be opposed to it. I'd like to see this come back here. You know, they can all watch it and see it, it's too. It's a crazy idea. It's a, it is a crazy well, idea. Well, and I think, I mean, to the city attorney, <laughs> Not a crazy I mean, because we've been having this back and forth now for months about Brown Act when it comes to these commissions and these committees, because this is a publicly noticed meeting, and so members of the public can be here, they can see what's going on, and so I feel like if one of our colleagues was really strongly burning right now with, I really want to say this thing in this conversation, that they should be able to say, Hey, Law and Ledge, I'm a member of the public, and I'm saying this is a perspective I have. But um, I'm just going to plant that with Steve over there and let him noodle on that with Susanna, because I know it's come up, especially in the context of this item, because the council member who submitted it is not on this committee. It's right. kind of like, wait a minute. Um, I can't come and actually engage in the dialogue with my colleagues. So, okay, that was my crazy idea. If you feel strongly, I'll, a vice chair, I'll ask you, and council member Kaplan as well. I mean, I would love to have the fuller discussion. I do think we're doing a little bit of that process here today with our discussion. But I think if you really feel strongly that it should come back here, that's okay too I just thought it'd be good to <coughs> let our other colleagues weigh in because we are a minority group of the council here but go ahead vice chair so 
I, um, I want to support my uh, colleague, uh, Vice, Vice Mayor uh, Garrett, on this particular um, action of coming back here. And you said it first. You said, let's come back here first. And then as we continued the conversation, I think you kind of moved to option number nine or ten, whichever <laughs> way it is. It got bigger. It got bigger. <laughs> it got bigger. Um, but, but I do think putting the work in here at this level, um, because I think we're asking for the gap analysis on what we have as opposed to starting to build something new and, and taking a look at what's working and what's not working and where are those gaps in the process. And I think this committee needs to hear that first. And then we have the opportunity to go to the full council to get them to weigh in. But if we do it first, I think it, 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 it moves us in the wrong direction because then we have to come back to us again. We keep going back and forth. And so I'd rather us, even if it means more than one meeting, come here and then move into the full council. Okay. But I like your crazy idea. I do. Brainstorming here. Only because uh, I, too, wanted to speak to... Um, Councilmember uh, Maple, and I wanted to talk to her about her option uh, on the tenant harassment. I wanted to talk to her, and, and I didn't know whether I would be violating the Brown Act or not. And on the knowledge of knowing that I probably was, I decided not to do that. So didn't do it, and I'm sure none of the other us did it as well, because we would be violating the Brown Act by doing that. But we want to hear her, and that's what the need is to get to the full council. I'm saying bring it back here one more time with the comments that we've made and then let it go to the full council to get their way in. Okay, I appreciate that. Councilmember Kaplan. Thank you. Um, and I would support my colleagues uh, Jennings and Guerra on that. Um, I think uh, our phenomenal clerk is going to go through and uh, listen to our conversation and write it out. But I think, um, Councilmember Jennings, uh, you said it perfectly, kind of like the gap analysis. We know we have everything out there. I think what needs to come back to us is the programs we have, the gaps, and then looking at the data. And then it moves into what Vice Mayor Guerra talked about of are some of the solutions where we look at is the three-day notice getting a hold of this? Is do we have to go to budget on funding certain things because we found that the um, the self-help housing really helped? But in the meantime, I would urge, which could happen right now, is even just having some of our, our web technical staff look at um, our website, our city website, and is everything up to, up to date? And because I know I found a lot of it, um, it has tenant rights, it has FAQs on it, but is it the most recent information? But also, what I didn't find on there was the rental inspection program, which I think can help. Where do you go? How do you do that? Because that addresses a lot of like issues of infestation and, and everything else, because landlords do pay into that. So, you know, I would support a proposal coming back that is a gap analysis with potential uh, items for us to further discuss what might be the solution to, to the gaps. And I want to appreciate, um, Vice Mayor, what you were saying about the city attorney's office weighing in in terms of enforcement mechanisms, because I think that's so important. It was a really disheartening a really disheartening email chain, not just for me, but obviously for the constituent that I was working with when the tenant protection program folks said, sorry, we can't do anything about that. Here's some phone numbers. And they said, well, I've already called those phone numbers and they're not available. And it was like, 
So I think that's an important tool because like we have our own building code that we adopt. You know, some things are enforced by our police and so obviously that's state law and then you have our local laws that they also enforce. And so it's, a, it's an intricate web, but it does seem like there are some gaps and, and this may be part of the solution and maybe not, um, but I appreciate colleagues keeping an open mind to that and hope staff we've given you 800 levels of um, whatever this motion is at this point. Um, but I will say to summarize, gap analysis, look at the programs we have, look at what's available. The website is out of date, unfortunately, Councilmember Kaplan, so we do need to take some of those resources off so we can have a real conversation about where the gaps are and how this ordinance may or may not fit into that and, and really talk about and keep it on the table and figure out what that looks like and then hopefully not too distant future. Um, because I'm telling you, if I have to have another one of those horrible constituent phone calls, I'm <laughs> going to lose it. It's, it's not a fun situation to be in. Um, so all right, um, that is the motion then that is on the table. I will restate again, gaps analysis, look at all the things, what's working, what's not working, what's funded, what's not been funded, how this may or may not fit in, get staff's input, um, and really have a robust conversation about what's available to tenants and what's not, and, and to landlords as well, and how we can, how this might be a part of that equation. So that's the motion. 1B, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going to keep making up sub-motions here. Is that okay? That's my motion. I'll support motion 16. Motion 16. All right. Thank you. Thank you for the second there, Vice Mayor. I'm like, I don't remember what number we're on. Um, okay. But I would just say, I, I want to say that I appreciate this conversation because I think this is exactly what I hope our law and ledge committee would be about is, you know, let's work it through. Let's have the conversation. Let's amend and amend until we feel like we get it right. And when our colleagues decide they want to do it different, then they, we can decide that at the full board, but at least we have the space for that. So um, that is the motion before we take the vote. Um, Vice Mayor, do you have another comment? Uh, yes, I, I do want to ask um, our city staff, particularly our code officers, we heard a number of comments of about um, you know, lack of repairs. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we're spending, we put a bunch of money in already with Habitat for Humanity for a Rock to Block to, you know, keep our housing stock up. But um, if there's issues with, you know, uh, safe, unsafe and hazardous buildings, oh. I'd, I'd like to make sure our code officers are looking at this, you know, so this more of like, this is already in place. Let's figure out how we address yeah, that. No, so I appreciate we could send that. that to our city staff. Well, know. and I know um, Peter and I have talked a lot about the funding available to help with those because it sometimes all too often becomes a situation where a tenant is weighing out, potentially losing that unit versus wanting to call because if they can't fix it, then, and it's inhibitable, but I can tell you canvassing in Midtown, I've come across more than one building where I'm just walking up the stairs thinking, this isn't safe. <laughs> um, and those tenants are saying, yep, this isn't safe, but like this is the only place we can afford. So none of us want to call the city because I know Peter and I, and I know you've talked about this and Daniel Foster when she was here. Do we have any resources to help when people get in that position where a landlord might not be able to afford to fix it? Because we don't want someone to get displaced just because they were trying to push for livability standards, you know, um, which is something I would love to see us tackle someday. Um, all right, so the motion, bring it back for us to continue talking, get more information, get lots of staff input, and see where we go. I'm seeing nodding heads, so I hope that's clear as mud to everybody who needs to know what the next step is. All right, all those in favor, please signify by saying aye. Aye. Any opposed, abstentions? All right, we'll talk again. Thank you all.
Thank you all members of the public to be continued. <laughs> all right, everybody. Okay, so we will go back in order of our presentation here. Thank you everybody for your patience. I knew a lot of folks were waiting on that item, so didn't want to keep folks waiting too long. Item three is a council member proposal request for committee consideration from yours truly. Special presentation regarding an SCIU Local 1000 contract bargaining following the process. I think we'll just keep it consistent since our colleagues who aren't a part of the committee don't get to do presentations and just start with public comment and have committee discussion and go from there. All right, Madam Clerk, do we have anybody signed up for public comment on this item? I have no speaker slips on this item and no hands raised. All right. Well, um, we brought this item forward as it's a, as you read the language, this isn't taking a position on the bargaining. It's not saying what we hope will happen in the bargaining. It's just a resolution saying we support bargaining process. So um, I hope you all consider supporting that so staff can come back under motion one and bring it back to us for full consideration and vote to potentially go on to our colleagues. I would love option two, which would just be to go to the colleagues, but I wanna respect if folks feel strongly about it coming back to committee first. So what is the will of the committee? Um, oh, Council Member Kaplan. Uh, oh. uh, thank you, Chairwoman. Uh, I think it's pretty evident here on City Council, we support our union. That, that loud and clear. Um, my biggest thing is where do we as a council get actively involved in negotiating, especially when we are not purview to what SEIU is bargaining for, as well as we just authorized our city manager to begin negotiating with our labor unions uh, and want to encourage all sides to negotiate in good faith. We also know as a council when our bargaining begins, we have to, in order to avoid the appearance of meddling in or exerting influence over the negotiating process, or creating a situation that leads to unfair bargaining, we don't get involved. Um, it's something I learned very, very much so as, as a school board member. So um, I think we can do something without saying, because if we, if we do something in support of SEIU, what does it say to our Teamsters, our firefighters, our police officers, our International Association of Machin uh, Machinists and Aerospace Workers, what does it say to our auto, marine, and specialty painters, a local 1176? What does it say to our Sierra building trades? What does it say to our carpenters? What does it say to our plumbers and pipe fitters, or our Western Council of Engineers, or Sacramento City Exempt Employees Association? What does it say to our nurses, our healthcare workers, our teachers association, a California School Employees Association, if we were to just potentially weigh in on just SEIU? So if you'll indulge me, I would like to propose an alternative resolution that I think encompasses where we as, as a city want to be. It's that we support um, all of our unions and we support uh, fair and appropriate uh, labor negotiations. So on one side, you have um, the mock-up, and if you flip it, it has uh, a clear of what the resolution is of recognizing our union members, that we over 16% per Bureau of Labor Statistics of our workers in California are unionized, but it also sets the stage that we as a council want all parties to engage in good faith negotiations to reach a mutually beneficial agreement that supports. Because I also know when you take a step back, um, uh, League of California Cities, Conference of Mayors encourage us not to get involved in the negotiating process and to appear impartial.
but I also know one of the fundamentals for local government is local control. So who are we to say to the state, you need to do a better job negotiating? Because I know all of us up here, if the state of California or the governor said, you Sacramento are not doing a good job and you need to bargain better, about that, you know. Um, so I'd rather say, um, because I believe all of our union partners that we're beginning negotiating with in Sacramento, of which we have 4,800 uh, approximately uh, city employees, of which 86% of our city employees belong to a union. That's important. I want them to know how important it is that we have good and fair negotiating. And so I would like to propose that we do something that says we as the city of Sacramento believe in good faith, that we should have positive bargaining instead of just um, singling out one because we, will our Teamsters ask us next? Will police officers ask us next? Will the firefighters ask us next? And then that gets in how much staff time do we have? <laughs> and what is the purview of us as a city council? So my motion is to adopt this resolution uh, alternative to said, send to city council for approval. All right, thank you, council member. I'll give my colleagues a chance to read um, the language that you just submitted. I will say that this originally started as just a ceremonial resolution that we wanted to present at council, just like we recognize specific schools or specific community groups. And honestly, if any of the other unions had come to me and said, I want you to do a reso, I would have done it for them too. So I just wanna give a little context as to the impetus of this since Local 1000 is, represents a lot of constituents in my district and across our city. Um, you know, they asked for this to be a presentation and it it's come to our committee because it was deemed to be more a matter of policy than a presentation. So absolutely no problem with every single city council meeting. We should be honoring a union of something. That sounds awesome, actually. Um, so note to all the unions watching the video feed right now. <laughs> Feel free to hit us up. But um, I also have no objections. I guess does this need to be an either or? Um, or could it be this be an additional submission? Because, I mean, I don't think recognizing one group takes away from another. I think, you know, we can recognize as many groups as want to come to us and say they would like to be recognized or supported by this council and maybe we do both resolutions like I don't I think this language is great and I love that you're making a broad statement about supporting the bargaining and the union of our just personally city as well. I don't feel it's appropriate position it's not that I don't support SEIU 1000 I just don't think it's an appropriate position for us as city council to tell the state what to do in their negotiations other than, because I don't know the specifics of what SEIU is bargaining for. Let's say they come up with, we need a 20% raise and it comes out public. We don't know that. But then what does that say to our bargaining units of if we're supporting SEIU without knowing the specifics of what they're asking for? Will our um, employee organization say, well, you supported SEIU and they're asking for 20, so then we deserve 20. And, and is it putting us in an awkward position? Okay. And so for me, I am only uh, comfortable with uh, my draft resolution, alternative resolution that I've put forward. Okay, no, that's fair. Um, and just to be clear, the language that my office submitted was not specific, it's just the bargaining process, which obviously honors both sides' ability to put forward proposals and counter proposals. But what is the will of the rest of the committee, Vice Mayor? 
Well, this is an interesting twist. <laughs> because, Never a dull day. Yeah, no, no, it is. It is. But, but you know what? I, I actually, I want to uh, thank uh, you know Councilmember Kaplan and, uh, and and just the, the sheer clarity of this because uh, it it brings me back to my legend days of uh, of uh, you know line and underscore. Uh, and I appreciate the actually because it, it makes it easier to go through this pretty quickly too. So I'm going to take some notes here. Uh, but uh, well, first let me let me start off by saying that uh, you know one uh, I have a lot of SEIU local 1,000 members. You know my wife and I have been also employees that get a uh, in the uh, you know uh, check that's signed by the controller as well. Uh, and also we were just like many state workers. We remember the days when we got IOUs, you know, and there were tough budget times. And and the, and some of the uh, members that I've talked to who obviously have. You know, not received an increase, and inflation has been double and whatnot. And so, I appreciate all the all of the advocacy and efforts and uh, and walking and supporting for them, uh, and I do as well. Now, here's uh, you know, and and I have these same comments to say uh, for the next item, which is uh, uh, presented by uh, Councilmember Kaplan, uh, and uh, and it's a matter of, of process and protocol. And again, when it comes to state and federal issues. Um, I've always had a challenge with uh, uh, the fact that we have a policy platform that helps guide that. That helps our, our our city and state. I mean, our city take active uh, conversations or engagement when there's a state issue or a federal issue. And so, my my uh, interest has always been, you know, if we want to have uh, engagements at those levels, we should do it through uh, our policy platform, not through an individual resolution not through each one, because Sacramento is very different than any other real city um, in the area, in the, in the region where we're so close to the state legislature, where also the number of, of contract lobbyists and advocates are here that, you know, the, the interest groups can quickly turn this council chambers into a de facto subcommittee hearing for any item that's coming up whether it's good, you know, for working families or not good for working families, and so what I, uh, what I've always said is that let's give both the 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 uh, our city staff uh, the right language in our policy platform and the chair of Lawn Ledge with the authority to be able to engage because you know whether it's this uh, issue or another piece of legislation, things move quickly and sometimes very much faster than we can actually agendize things. So to me, I always feel more comfortable doing that. Now, having said that, also, because it's one entity, I, I always also have a, a concern that it's a single entity where we're doing resolutions and, um, uh, and in, for something that is being actively negotiated. Uh, now, the, as I've read this quickly, this seems to me uh, a resolution that kind of states a policy, pla a, a policy position or a platform position. So if we were going to pass a resolution of a value statement that the city has, I could support this. Um, my preference would be that we just update our policy platform and give the authority for the, the chair to, again, like we do in others, to submit letters or, to sub or, or um, you know, uh, and respond as, as accordingly with our, with our current rules. So, and I feel the same way not only for this issue, but... For the next issue, not that I don't care or want to support the, the you know the support for foster kids or whatnot, but it's about the the practice and the policy. So, um, you know, if if the committee wants to move forward with 
um, with this, uh, this vision statement resolution, I could support that. But if not, then my preference is that we just amend the policy platform to give um, this the, the same, you know, uh, what do you call it, uh, 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 effort of supporting, you know, um, our parties for good faith negotiations, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, I support access to a livable wage, and so if, I think that's already in our that's policy, in our policy platform. platform. So that's what I was going to say, which I already think is our way to know because I, 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 I argued for that a while back ago. So um, again, that that to me is my preference. So uh, I would support either uh, if there's a, something that's missing in our policy platform or this visioning statement. But um, I don't think it's appropriate for us to be just doing any uh, one particular resolution for one particular entity. So okay. yeah, let me start. Let me stop there. Okay. So that counts as your comment for item four or two, right? Yes. So oh, check. No, I'm joking. I, you can talk again if you want to. I'll just say ditto. Okay. Got you. Um, Vice Chair, do you have a strong thought or opinion? Not stronger than what I've already heard, um, because I've wrestled with the same uh, points that my two colleagues have made. Um, I tried to figure out how many resolutions would we have to do in addition to to this one once we did SEIU uh, 1000, and and is that really what we should be doing as a um, as a, within local government? And so I've wrestled with that, and so I really wanted to hear the, the voice of my colleagues, all three of you to understand a little bit better how I felt about this particular one. Um, whereas I, I, I appreciate this being inclusive of all unions. I, this really helps me a lot more than singling out one and then having to give support letters to all others. I also think that as an individual council member, sometimes there are things that we do that may not the whole council doesn't do. And I think we should take advantage of those opportunities if we really believe and support the unions that um, that we that we stand behind. Um, and it could be all of them. I mean, it may be some more than others. But I, I just I would feel uncomfortable putting something out on behalf of the entire council that they didn't vote on. So this I would imagine would go back to the full council first. Um, and that might be the next best step is to have a conversation as a full council if we can't agree here. But at this point in time, I would be more inclined to go with the more general one for all unions than one specific one for one. Okay. Well, I I'll see Consuelo actually before I weigh in. Go ahead, Consuelo. She's got that ledge platform up and ready to go. Right, so. right. I just I just <laughs> wanted to clarify what the ledge platform does and doesn't cover. So, and I'm reading straight from it. Um, it's the city's advocacy positions on federal and state legislative, administrative, and budget issues. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe that bargaining with one's employees would fall into any of those categories. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't be covered under the legislative platform if that's what you're looking for. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that, Consuelo. Oh. Uh, Vice Mayor, you'd like to respond? Well, yes, thank you. And and that that I think was a very important clarify, clarifying point because um, uh, uh, in in this case, because I, I you know we spend a lot of time trying to put the, together the policy platform at the beginning of the year, you know, trying to guess what may be coming up in the full year. But so in this at this point in you know now that we're at this point of the year, I can support and second the motion to move this item forward, and then I'd like to also have a conversation as we review the policy platform coming back to make sure that we're um, including, you know, uh, uh, you know the, the advocacy for our uh, working families here. Um, 
so let me put that on on that as part of the, the yes the, well that part is a part of the platform because we get involved in legislation all the time on behalf of working families because that's super important whether it's daycare or good wages or what you name well I've told you what originally this started as. I was just at a request, just like we all get to do a resolution and I told come to Law and Ledge and you've all made your intention pretty loud and clear that you'd rather go with the broader resolution. Um, so honoring all unions. So happy to support that and I'll um, explore a personal resolution to the members of Local 1000 who've asked me for that. And I can do, I'll do a personal one. We'll do personal ones, yeah. We will all explore our own personal resolutions to Local 1000. All right, so we have a motion on the table to, I think it would fall under two because we're just gonna say, this is the amended resolution we'd like to send back to the full council. Um, all those in favor, say aye. 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 All right. And no Chair, can I confirm that's item two, pass a motion directing staff to commence work on the proposal as amended. Yes. With, and forwarding the item to the city council for yes. consideration. Thank you. All righty then, um, moving right along to our last item, only one hour and 35 minutes into the meeting. We're doing great. Um, <laughs> I love it. No, this is a good meeting. I know. Everybody thinks I'm such a nerd, but I'm like, I love this stuff. Um, okay, so we could be here all day. Yes, we're here. We're here for a reason. Um, all right, so item number four is a council member proposal from council member Kaplan for committee consideration request for the city of Sacramento to take a formal position of support on SB 407 by Senate 407 by Senator Weiner regarding foster care placement resources with a letter to the author. Um, do we have any public comment on this item, Madam Clerk? I have no hands raised and no speakers slips in chambers. All right, I assume Councilmember Kaplan, you'd like to talk about this briefly? So honestly, I brought this forward because we talked about rules and procedures and we as a city council adopted new rules and procedures. So this was kind of my test of I'm going to follow our new rules and procedures so that we up here can discuss what what do we do now if with legislation, if it comes up, if it fits within the policy platform, how do we want to handle it? Because my proposal does, I, I called out where it fits in the policy platform, but I wanted to give it a chance for us on the council to all discuss it so that then we are all clear what that policy well, should I be. I appreciate you doing that because we actually had a lovely email exchange um, between our city attorney and Consuelo and the clerk because I was like, I thought the policy was that we sign the letters that align with the platform and that is the policy. So the idea is if it aligns with the platform, we just send the letter and, and so you can submit the request to Consuelo or to myself and we confer and she checks into it and says, yes, I think this aligns with the platform. In this case, the conclusion was that it didn't align with the platform necessarily and so that's why we decided to bring it to the body to say, would we like to tell staff that we'd like to send a letter? So in the future, for the members, all of the council members who are watching this meeting right now, you do not need to submit a formal item. If it is within the platform, you can check in with us. And if it's not, then we'll tell you it's not. It needs to be a policy proposal. So you ended up doing the right thing preemptively, which is that staff does not believe this is a part of the policy platform. So we are considering today whether we would like to take a position on this bill. I took a look at the bill. It looks like a very great bill. So um, I don't know if you want to talk more about why you'd so like us to take a position. Really, this is um, in state law. So long time ago, I worked a lot with foster care and access. Um, and being a school board member for 20 years, we know that our foster kids are the most disadvantaged. And then there's that extra level of our LGBTQIA plus um, individuals who are, are overrepresented in our foster care system. 
And what this bill would actually do is before a known uh, identified young individual is placed in a family, that there is a discussion and that the family understands this. So that the student is not, and the kid is not further traumatized mm -hmm. for who they believe they are, but they get placed in a family who does not have those same beliefs, which honestly, that just then goes to the increased suicide rates, dropping out of school, runaways, homelessness. So when I looked at our policy platform, for me, I thought it fell under a safe, secure, healthy, prepared community, supporting increasing opportunities for youth and families, and that it, it falls under equal rights for all Sacramento residents. Because we in Sacramento have already announced how we, uh, our beliefs with our LGBTQIA families and, and students, that this falls under that. Um, if it doesn't, then I support Councilmember Guerra as we come back and discuss policy platform. How does this potentially fall underneath? But this is kind of a little, this is something I'm passionate about having seen what happens to our foster students. And, and if there's just one small measure of trying to help them with their trauma, that's where I saw this piece of state legislation as something that the city, what I would hope, jump on and support. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Councilmember. I see the Vice Mayor and the Vice Chair have punched up, so go ahead, Vice Mayor. Uh, thank you, uh, Madam Chair. I won't repeat my my entire la last comment. <laughs> I, so I'll say ditto, you know. And uh, what I would I would support a motion that, a, that uh, amends the policy platform appropriately um, to fit, fill that gap. Because I, I felt when I looked at our policy platform that that was kind of encompassing, but let's Let's make sure that we draft it, um, that it fills the gap. You know, I'm not the attorney, and I want to make sure that we're, you know, in uh, in compliance with that. Um, and I do hope, and I, maybe this is a conversation for later time, but the timing of when we look at amending the policy platform, because we could end up being here every meeting amending the policy platform. So we should it would make it a little impossible for our lobbyists to do work for exactly. us in the legislative so, session. <laughs> so uh, you know, so I think for us, this is why we do it at the beginning of the year, and then figure out. I mean, we should discuss. You know, as a committee, like, or, or, you know, thinking about, okay, when is it appropriate to start amending? But I, I think uh, this, this is in the spirit of what we intended when we drafted that. And so I, I would uh, support a, a motion for that or second a motion if that was uh, made. To, so I want to make sure, because we're figuring out the policy process on this, since it didn't fall under the platform per se, if my fellow council members feel that it does, does it then give us the authority for you to just draft a letter to send without it having to go to city council and all of that other. I'm going to let Ms. Consuelo chime in on this one. Um, so go be, ahead and then we'll yeah. go to the vice chair. <laughs> so um, yes, the general policy in terms of you know civil rights and, and all of those um, is in the platform. The reason and kind of what we've historically done that I didn't feel that this fell under the policy platform is because the city of Sacramento is not involved at all in foster care. This isn't under our purview. So when we do something that's like kind of a like why is the city of Sacramento weighing in on this, then I like to get guidance from, you know, from a committee from the council. That's that's the reason. It's not that we don't support all of these rights. It's just that this isn't our kind of bailiwick, so. Yeah. so I, I appreciate that clarification. Yeah. So we're not proposing to amend the policy platform to be clear that we get involved in all the homeless and foster or foster youth services, excuse me, um, services, but that on this particular issue, the motion is to say we want to support this bill and clarify the platform that this is the sort of thing we'd like to be able to plug into. Okay, Vice Chair. 
No, I think that just answered my question because I wanted to understand a little bit more about our policy platform and what we cover and what we don't. Um, and I also wanted to just understand a little bit more about the situation with foster kids as far as what is revealed to their new prospective parents or not. And so this helped me tremendously, um, this conversation, as to why we're doing what we're doing in an effort to try to make sure that parents and children are not traumatized by not being told what is going on with the child. Um, it should go beyond uh, what their preference is. It should be all health-related issues. So I hope that is the case, but I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. That is a deeper conversation for sure. Um, because we hope these young people are getting the care that they need wherever they go. And all too often, that isn't always the case. So um, if this bill can help in a small way, then why not? Um, I do think adding small, nuanced things for particular, you know, is one thing. We don't want to go back on things that are on the ledge platform because they might have already started taking positions on things. But at least we can say, like we did, I think, the year before when I introduced the CalCare support measure, we decided, you know, as a council, we were going to support that legislation that was additive, not taking away something that they're already working on, and I think this probably falls in the same bailiwick. So making sure our young people get the appropriate services and support um, is how I would sort of characterize that potential addition. So the motion is to forward to council, item number two, a uh, clarification to our legislative platform that we want to support our young people getting the inclusive services that they need um, and supporting specifically SB 407, correct? All right. All those in favor, please signify by saying aye. Aye. And no abstentions or no votes. Thank you, Councilmember, for bringing this forward. And with that is the end of our agendized items. I'd love to open it up if there's any public comments for items not on the agenda. Um, Chair, I have no speaker slips in chambers and no hands raised in Zoom. All right. Do my colleagues have anything else you'd like to add after that nice, robust conversation? I love these meetings, I'm telling you. I know this is probably making the staff crazy that we're making these in like two hour long meetings, but this is great. <laughs> All right, y'all. Well, we'll see you in just a couple weeks. In the meantime, I hope everybody has a good day and we'll see you at five o'clock.